it going. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and stand. How's everybody doing tonight? Everybody good? Enjoying the rain? The weather, I mean, I, we, I love this weather, but I'd really like to curl up with a blanket and a pillow. <laughs> Take a nap. Thank you for being with us online tonight. We're glad that you've tuned in. Uh, we want to open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight you'll just signify by lifting your hand? If you're online tonight, if you'll, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, I, I do want to pray. Uh, I told this couple I would uh, uh, have us pray. I, I got called out yesterday with the sheriff's department on a chaplain call to a four-month-old baby that passed away in Venus. And so uh, we want to uh, lift up that family uh, pretty uh, pretty difficult situations you can as you can imagine uh new parents firstborn child and uh just really distraught um spent about four hours with them uh yesterday and you know they didn't uh, she said they were they were her words religious but weren't practicing and so um uh, anyway let's lift up that god knows who they are let's lift up that family uh again just uh, needs everywhere and I'm just glad that we serve a God who's big enough. Um, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. I was a handsome little fella and just broke my heart. Uh, in fact, it was a pretty emotional day uh, yesterday. And, you know, I'm just glad that there's somebody you can run to in times of crisis. And, uh, and that's what we do tonight. Father, uh, tonight I thank you for the privilege of joining together, uh, Lord, to study your word. And I thank you for the privilege of prayer uh, Lord, prayer is not our persuading a reluctant God to get involved. Our prayer is communion with you. Lord, it's those deep moments of life where we have no understanding that we can call out to you. And Lord, you show up. You do things that we could never imagine. Lord, you connect the dots that we can't even see. And Father, for that, I'm thankful. I'm grateful for the privilege to come to your throne to find mercy and grace to help, and I pray for every hand that went up in the building tonight. Uh, Lord, you know what the needs are. You know the deepest cry of our heart. Lord, you know the longing of our hearts. Lord, you know the things that we may not even be clear about ourselves. Lord, you know. And not only do you know, but you care. And you invite us to petition you. You invite us to bring our cares and concerns to you. And so tonight we do that. I pray for those that need healing tonight. God, I thank you that healing from you is not just one-dimensional. It is uh, it, is, it, 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 it heals every part of us. It's thorough. It is complete. Lord, heal our, uh, our bodies, our minds, our emotions, uh, Lord, our, our spirit. Uh, Father, I thank you that you are our healer. You're our provider. Lord, you are our comfort, our counselor, Lord, our confidant. Lord, and you've not failed. You, uh, Lord, that goes against your very nature to fail. And I pray, Father, that we grab hold of that truth tonight. I pray Father, for all the ministries on campus tonight, Lord, that you would be lifted high and exalted in all things. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would draw us near to you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, create in us that hunger and desire just not to know about you, but to know you, to get to know you. And I pray, uh, Lord, as we join our voices uh, tonight to pray for that young couple in, in Venus that lost that four-month-old boy yesterday, little Arlo. Uh, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would uh, Lord, that you would minister to that family, that you would uphold them, and that, Lord, through this tragedy, Lord, you show yourself on their behalf. Show yourself strong for them. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll put the dots together for them. And, Father, we pray for revival in our land. We continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would be with us in our study tonight. Open our hearts. Let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it down to you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to First Kings. I'm going to do something a little bit different. We are in our series on standing on the promises, but I'm going to, I'm going to take it a different approach with a different story. I thought this would be a, a good a good approach. Uh, while you're turning First Kings chapter three, uh, in way of announcements, tomorrow is our food distribution. It's the fourth uh, Thursday of the month, so um, you have time to volunteer. Be up here about between eight thirty and nine tomorrow. Uh, we plan, depending on what the weather does, we plan to do it over here where we normally distribute, but we may end up, if it's raining, moving it over here under the, uh, the drive under, uh, the portico, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so that's going on tomorrow. Men's breakfast coming up on the 4th, uh, which is a week from Saturday. And uh, 
I think that's it. Um, I do want to remind you that the week of Thanksgiving, there's not midweek service. Um, I'm not sure what that Thursday is. I think it's the 21st maybe. Uh, just kind of planning purposes, kind of note the Wednesday of Thanksgiving week, we won't have service. Um, but uh, anyway, let's let's get right into our teaching tonight. Again, standing on the promises. And tonight, uh, we're, we're, I think we're on week number five uh, on this series. So we, we may have another week or so in this. There's, there's a lot of wisdom, and, and we could probably be here a long time. But tonight, I want to I want to talk about the promise of wisdom, the promise of wisdom. Now, uh, the screen shows First First Kings three one through fifteen. I, I'm not going to read all of that. I'll kind of skip around, but I will refer to it in a teaching tonight. So let's begin verse number one. It says now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David, until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord, and the wall around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Verse number nine. Uh, Therefore, I'll I'll just read this one. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. This speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Now, that may be kind of a hodgepodge of Scripture. Uh, you can refer, and I will refer to the entire 15 verses, but just for the sake of time tonight, uh, you know I have the gift of gab. And so uh, to, to be able to get us out of here, I wanted to kind of skip around a little bit. Um, so we're going to talk about the promise of wisdom. Now, some of you might remember a couple of weeks ago, I quoted John Wayne. Uh, if you remember when I kicked off our sermon series on foolproof on Sundays, uh, John Wayne is noted to have said, life is tough, but it's tougher when you're stupid. And, and you know, it's kind of comical, um, and, but there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, you ask people today what it is that they miss in our society and in our world today, and I promise you, you're going to have somebody that will tell you they miss common sense. You know, common what do they say? Common sense isn't quite as common <laughs> or sensible as it, what it used to be. You know, I mean, one of the things missing today seems to be common sense. Uh, you know, it seems like, again, this is just my observation, but it seems like our world is plagued with ignorance and a lack of good sense. Um, you know, and, and good sense, we call that wisdom, by the way. You know, our world is plagued with ignorance and a lack of wisdom. Uh, and again, I know I'm preaching a series on Sundays, foolproof, but we do have a promise from God for wisdom. How many, how many knew that? God provides us. God promises to give us wisdom. And that's one of the things that, you know, when I was on my, you know, of course, you know my story. Grew up in church, ran away from that truth, ran away from my, my faith. Um, it, uh, one of those things that really kind of helped me to put all the pieces together, again, making, making my parents' faith my faith, was, was the fact that God had wisdom that wasn't just a Sunday wisdom. You know, God had wisdom for an everyday, uh, everyday life, an everyday existence. You know, that my faith wasn't just about what I did on Sunday. My faith was what I did every day of the week. And that the Bible didn't just apply to what I did on Sunday. The Bible applied to what I did every day of the, of the week. And that's a lot, you know, a lot of people don't approach it that way. A lot of people think, well, I'll pull my Bible out and take it to church on Sunday or your device or whatever your Bible's on nowadays. That's what I'll do. Then I'll put it up the rest of the week because it has no bearing. Well, that's not true. You know, God, God's word contains wisdom. That's not just Sunday wisdom. It's everyday wisdom. That's why I said Sunday on, uh, in that series is that, uh, when we talk about foolproof in our life, God's given us practical wisdom and how to live. I, I, I read this little story. Um, a survey was done among some school kids one time asking them uh, to explain wisdom. And here's some of the results. And I thought this was pretty cool. One young boy, uh, one young boy by the name of Rocky, who's nine years of age, here's what he said Wisdom is wearing a hat when feeding seagulls. Now, as one who grew up on the co- Gulf Coast of Mexico, Mobile, Alabama, a lot of wisdom right there. You're going to get out on the beach, and you're going to play around with the seagulls. You better have a hat on, and that's pretty good wisdom. 
here's another one. Carol, nine, who's nine, she said this, never ask for anything that costs more than $5 when your parents are doing their taxes. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Children should be seen and not spanked or grounded. <laughs> A penny saved is not much. <laughs> like that little video of the little boy. How much does, you know, I forget what his name, Joey. Joey's broke. <laughs> um, here's another one. If you want a kitten, start out asking for a horse. <laughs> I sound like they learned the system, right? <laughs> That's called compromise. Never try to baptize a cat. <laughs> here's a young man, Nicholas, who's age 11. Here's what he said. And, and, and this obviously came from experience. Never bug a pregnant mom. <laughs> <laughs> he probably learned that the hard way. <laughs> One more. Heather, who obviously had to be a, an experienced teenager, she said this. She said, when your dad is mad and asks, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. <laughs> you know, the, the, Bible, the Bible is filled with God's wisdom that covers, again, as I said, every aspect of our lives. I love I love Proverbs. That's why I said in that Sunday series that if you've not d- jumped into the book of Proverbs, you ought to write, you ought to read Proverbs one, at least one a day, read a chapter a day. Uh, you know, it, it's just filled with all kinds of just very practical wisdom. In fact, one of my favorite uh, Proverbs is Proverb twenty six seventeen that says this: He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own. Is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Sounds like he had some experience with that one. <laughs> In other words, he's saying, mind your own business. Don't put your nose where. I love that one. You know, you can write that down and quote that to somebody one day. Now, now this ty- again, this type of wisdom is very pragmatic, very, uh, very, uh, again, very pragmatic, very practical. Uh, we can glean a lot from it. But here's the thing. The truth is, to be wise we need wisdom that comes from above. You know, we need more than cliches. We need wisdom that comes from above. In fact, James tells us in James 3.17 says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's wisdom from above. So God promises to show us what to do uh, how to respond when we don't know what to do and how to respond. So, so tonight, again, our text is a little bit different than what you would, what I would be doing, I guess, in, in the series because I thought it was a great story. How many, know, how many of you have ever heard of King Solomon? Okay, so King Solomon is known for what? Wisdom. Uh, King Solomon is known, in fact, he's known throughout the world as probably being the wisest guy that has ever lived. He's the author of most of the Proverbs and uh, but, but, but if you know his story, somewhat of a tragic story. While he's known for his wisdom uh, that was obviously granted from above, he was very wise, but he did some really stupid things. And, and again, remember a couple of weeks ago I said if you, foolishness can tarnish your reputation. I mean, you can have years of wi- wise living and have one moment of foolishness and it can tarnish your entire reputation. Solomon is that quandary of a man who's filled with the wisdom of God, yet he did some really stupid things. So let's look at his story and talk about the promise of wisdom. First of all, let's look at his situation. So in our text tonight, in 1 Kings chapter 3, the first thing I notice about this chapter and about Solomon is Solomon is politically compromised. So, so look at what it says. In order for him to extend his kingdom... And to be at peace with those around him, the Bible says that, and again, Solomon was, was adept at doing this. He, was the, uh, he seemed to be the master of negotiation. So the first thing that we see is that it says, now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter and then brought her to the city of David. Well, now, this was common practice in the times of the kings and the times of uh, which Solomon lived. This alliance allowed his soul to be entangled. Again, we, we, 
we have to have the wisdom of God to think beyond the, the, the immediate moment in which we live. Because there are some things that we decide today in haste and in a moment that have ramifications that carry on. And so Solomon is compromised politically because he makes this union with, uh, with Pharaoh. He unites that union in a treaty and in, his, in marriage. And, and, and if you look at his story, 1 Kings, if you go on a few chapters down the road, chapter 11, verse number 4, here's what it reads. For it was so when Solomon was old, okay, so seasoned, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the, God, uh, to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. So, so again, he was, he was politically compromised, and that compromise cost him later on. You know, the Bible is very clear. And, and again, as parents, and I know most of us here are probably grandparents, but as parents, we really need to teach our children and stress. The Bible is very clear about a believer not marrying an unbeliever. I know that sounds old-fashioned, and I know that sounds like I, I'm, a, I'm a prude and a fuddy-dud, but there are ramifications for a young man or a young woman who marries outside the faith that may not manifest immediately, but down the road it will bring some, it will do something. That's exactly what happened. He was compromised politically. Another thing about him was not only was he compromised politically, he was personally conflicted. He, that means he was troubled within himself. His political compromise led to Solomon becoming personally conflicted. And we see that in verse number two, because what does it say about the people under his watch? It says they were offering sacrifices where? In the high places. In the high places, which is, is a reference to the site of where the Canaanites worship their gods. Idolatries, that's what it is. Okay, so because he made those political compromises, he's conflicted. He's allowing people to do what God told them not to do. Again, you go back in the Old Testament, and God over and over and over again says, you know what, have no other gods before me. That's one of the reasons that Christianity is so hated around the world is because of its exclusiveness. Every other religion says, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Christianity says you can, there's only one way. There's only one who's ever come, there's only one God who took on the form of man, who came, lived a sinless life, died in our place, the atoning sacrifice, paid our price, was buried, resurrected, seen by over 500 people at one time. Only one. Only one. So he has every right to claim exclusiveness. Again, but that's why people hate, you know, that's why it's hated around the world. Uh, you know, this was, this was not, the high places was not the place where they, were, where they were to worship God. That's, that's not what the Bible had told them. That's not what God had told them. You know, and, and again, look at how conflicted. According to, uh, he was, because again, people, he's allowing people to worship in the high places. But notice in verse 3 how he's, he's again, he's, he's committed to the Lord at this point in his life. He's committed to the Lord. In fact, it demonstrates that he, the, his love by walking according to the statutes of his father David, and that's good news. But if you keep reading, unfortunately, Solomon, you know, he loved the Lord, but notice the next two words, and I love the way this translation renders that. It says, except that, except that. Now, what does that mean? Well, think about us today. You know, we love the Lord, except that we gossip we love the Lord except that we mistreat our spouse. We love the Lord except that we hold grudges. We love the Lord except that whatever you want to fill in the blank. I think most Christians today have that except that in their lives. It's a blind spot. You know, I mean, he loved the Lord. He, won't, he walked in the statutes of his father, David, except that he had these blind spots. He was allowing people to worship in high places. He was, another thing about him right off the bat is in verse 4 we find he was, he was not just personally conflicted, but he was profoundly committed. He was committed to the Lord. Again, we're talking early on in, in his call to be a king. He, was, he loved the Lord, and yet he was compromised, and he was conflicted. Verse 4 says, now the king, talking about Solomon, the king went to uh, Gibeon, to sacrifice there 
For that was the great high place. Solomon offered, notice what he offered. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. So, so here he got this right. <laughs> I, I mean, he, he absolutely got it right. He worshiped at the place where the tabernacle was located. He killed a thousand cattle to sacrifice to God. I mean, can you imagine how long that must have taken? I mean, we live in a culture today where, uh, you know, I mean, you, you better hope you're, you've closed out service by noontime because the football game starts. You know, I mean, honestly, in, in, in modern classes of preaching, you know, it's about a 15 to 20-minute, I call it sermonettes for folks in bassinets. You know, you, you give, you give a, a presentation, you do a 10 to 15-minute devotional, and then you send people on their merry way. Can you imagine taking how long it took to offer a 1,000 sacrifices to the Lord? I mean, Again, for Solomon, this is, a, this is a reflection of his love and admiration for God. He loved God, and he was willing to take the time, you know, to wait on the Lord and to, and to sacrifice. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. What happens is you read that text, that narrative. It was after Solomon had worshiped and sacrificed to God that God spoke to him. I, I think that's an important combination. It was after that he had offered himself. It was after that he had worshipped and he sacrificed that God spoke to him. You know, some, I think sometimes we wonder why God seems so far away. And, and I think God's always saying, look, I'm not the one that moved. I, I'm, not the, I'm not the one that moved. Put me first. Isn't that what Matthew says? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. You know, put me first. Sacrifice of praise, and then you can feel my presence. Again, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. You know, I think sometimes we need to, un, uh, you, know, you know, we need to unplug from the things of this world and spend time with our Lord. That's why, to me, Sundays are so important. You know, I know COVID for a lot of, a lot of people, and I don't know what the data is. I hadn't read it in a long time. But I know post-COVID, a lot of people got accustomed and, and I'm not, I love our own online uh, uh, congregation and people that tune in. we got people that tune in all over the world, and, and, and that's fine. But there's something about meeting with God's people. There's something about being together personally that, that just does something good to our soul. Um, again, sometimes we need to unplug from the, from the distractions of this world and just spend time with him. And, you know, so, so again, after he worshiped and after he sacrificed, God spoke. And in this, in this speaking, what did God do? Well, God asked him a question. In verse number five, he asked him a question that literally changed his life. And the question was, ask, what shall I give you? Wow. Isn't that a great question? What shall I give you? I'm I'm listening. <laughs> you know how many want that? <laughs> Hello, Lord. <laughs> I got a list. <laughs> what shall I give you? How, how would you answer that question? Again, I, I, I mean, you know, looking at today's world, I mean, in what's going on in our world today, we could say, well, you know what? I'd like my bills paid. I'd like the grocery prices to come down. I'd like my car to run better. I'd like, you know, my, my, my appliances to work. I, I'd like my kids to mind. I wish my wife would listen or my husband would listen or my dog would behave. I mean, it's on and on it goes. How would you answer that? What shall I give you? What is it that you really want? You see, most of the time, we've never really thought deeply about what it is we really want. Oh, we want things and we want stuff. To me, stuff is medicine that masks what's missing. That, that's, that's really what I feel. We, we, we fill our lives with substitutes because we think those substitutes really will fill the emptiness that we have inside, and that's, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You can ask wealthy people who are miserable because they bought into an idea that wealth would solve all their issues, and it doesn't. You can take, you can take a homeless man who's walking in covenant with the Lord who will be more content and fulfilled than someone who lives in a 40,000-foot mansion because it's not about stuff. Stuff masks 
the hurt and the pain. So again, I mean, what, what do you dream about? What do you long for? You know, if God gave you a blank check, how would you fill it in? I think, again, most of us would want good health, a better relationship, increased income, maybe better, maybe more influence, maybe more power, more status. Well, this kind of leads to the second part of Solomon. So we, we've looked at his situation. He's compromised. He's personally conflicted. Uh, you know, he's, he's got those issues going on. Uh, but look at his prayer. So God asked him, what shall I do for you? So his prayer, there's some things we learn from his prayer. Number one, we learn how to recall God's work. I think it's helpful sometimes to go back and remember. Remember. I think sometimes we get in a negative situation or, or excuse me, a negative place or a negative mindset because we forget. You know, we're, we're dealing with, a, with an immediate need or an immediate issue, but we forget that just a month ago God bailed us out of one of those issues then. I think it's helpful to remember. So, so when we get to verse 6, Solomon begins to answer God's question of what shall I do for you? And how he answers that is he starts recalling God's work. Here's what he said. You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness to him, and you have given him a son, talking about himself, to sit on his throne as it is this day. So what does he do? He, he recalls God's kindness, and he honors the memory of his father, King David. Uh, Solomon praises God for the fact that he was even sitting on the throne at that time. He knows that it's not because of his might, it's because of God's mercy. I think sometimes we need to pause and go back and think, you know what, had it not been for the Lord. I mean, how many of us have those moments where we look back and say, you know what, had it not been for the Lord, I don't know that I'd be alive today. Had it not been for the Lord, I don't know that I would be of sound mind. I don't know that I would be able-bodied. I don't know. Had it not been for the Lord. We don't, I think in heaven we're going to find, we're going to, just, just my speculation, okay, but Maybe we're going to see all those instances that we are not aware of right now of how many times we dodged the bullet, so to speak, because God was there. He gave his angels charge over us. When we felt the urge to go this way as instead of the normal left, we went right this time instead and avoided. You know, I've heard so many stories you, of, of people that that just for whatever reason, they would have to leave the house at 6.15, but they just couldn't get, you know, even though they got up at the same time, got everything ready, they just couldn't get out the door at 6.15. It was like 6.20 before they could ever get out the door. But that five minutes was enough to prevent them from being in a major. We don't know. I think sometimes, but there are a lot of things we do know. I think sometimes we just need to recall the goodness of God that's what he did in his prayer. The second thing he did was he recognized his own weakness. Again, acknowledge we're, we're not all we need to be. And, and quite frankly, there are things that we, we cannot do on our own. Verse 7 and 8, Solomon, if you look at what he says in those two verses, he calls himself a servant and a child. Not much more helpless than that. He's overwhelmed with the task before him. He recognizes his inadequacies and his ineptitude. And he, here's what he says He's in, in this version. He says, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen. <laughs> He's like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. You ever felt like that? <laughs> yeah, a lot. I mean, this, this, I think this is often a missing ingredient in our prayers, I think we just own up to it. You know, there are times that, that down through 30-plus years of ministry, I've had to go to the Lord and say, God, I don't know what to do. Either option looks good. <laughs> I don't know what to do. When I went to, when I was <clears throat> 1987, after Sheila and I had gotten married, we had planned on, so, so the church that we were, that we met at and and after I rededicated to the Lord, started serving there when I wasn't deployed all the time, which, which was all the time. Uh, they wanted me to get out of service and stay there on, on staff. 
and I, I get a letter, you've heard this before, but I get a letter, um, actually it's not a letter, it's orders, okay, so I got orders, it said, greetings nephew, we need you in Germany, uh, Uncle Sam by the way, <laughs> so I get orders from the government telling me they're sending me to Germany, well that wasn't in my plans, it, I, again, never even crossed my mind. I'm getting this letter saying I got to go to Germany, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm already planning to get out and stay here on staff at the church. Why would I want to go to Germany? And I honestly did not know what to do. Talked to Sheila. We'd only been married less than a year. I said, God, I, I don't know what to do. And at this point, again, we're, I'm, I'm very, you know, even though I grew up in church, I was now living my faith, not my parents' faith. Oh, I could quote scripture, and I could teach, and I could do all those things, the, the kids and stuff that we did, but I was not mature in the faith at all. And so I'm like, God, I, I don't really know what to do, and I truly want to do your will. I had been put up in the, in the, in the military, in the Air Force, they call it uh, below the zone. It was an early promotion board, and there was 20 of us going for four promotion spots. So they put my name in to be promoted. Uh, I had been in the least amount of time of any of the other uh, airmen that were uh, there. I had not received at that time any medals or any reward, uh, awards. And, and so in my naivete, I just simply said, God, I don't know what to do. I'm willing to follow you wherever you send me. If you want me to go, this is my prayer. I said, God, if you want me to go to Germany, I, I need to have one of these promotion spots. I need to go overseas at a higher rank than I am right now. You may not agree with that type of prayer. But that's all I had. That's all I had. And so I go before the board, um, do my presentation. It's a promotion board. I answer their questions. I go back again. When I come out, I see these other guys, and they're the only time I ever wore dress blues, you know, because I'm, I'm Air Force Station on Army Base. So, I'm, you know, I come out from there, and I see these guys, and they have their little ribbons on and their medals, and, and I'm looking down, and I have nothing. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, it ain't no way. But I meant my prayer. The next day I get a phone call from the promotion board, and they said, congratulations, we've selected you to be promoted to the next rank. I hung up the phone, walked straight from my unit to the command unit next door, walked into my colonel, and I said, sir, I need those papers. I'm ready to sign. And he looked at me with this big quizzical look. He said, like, wait a minute, I thought we talked about me helping you to get out and stay on staff here at your church. And I said, yes, sir. But, and then I told him the story, and he said, well, by all means. And I signed that paper, and we went to Germany, probably the best thing outside of, Mar of, of re my relationship with the Lord and marrying my wife, probably the best thing I ever did. Because what God did overseas in my life has forever changed me. So then I get to call up my wife and say, hey, by the way, <laughs> uh, we had planned, we didn't have a honeymoon, a honeymoon, so we had planned to go, I was going to take her to Hawaii for our one-year anniversary. So I call her up and I said, hey, sweetheart, you know, I got to thinking, I said, rather than go to Hawaii, I said, you know, why don't we go to Europe? Like, like, why don't we go to Germany? And she's like, well, I, okay, I don't care. I said, good, because we don't have a choice. We're going for three years. <laughs> that was the conversation. <laughs> but there was a point to all that. Well, again, he, he was, his, his, his point was recognize his weakness. God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. And that leads to the third thing. He recognized that he wasn't capable of leading this people. And so the third thing is request God's wisdom. That's what the whole thing is about tonight. That's why I went this route. Request. Ask God for wisdom. He who knows the beginning from the end can direct our steps. Ask God for, uh, for wisdom. Remember, Solomon could have asked God for anything. God didn't qualify it. He just said, hey, what can I give you? What can I do for you? Solomon could have asked for anything. Giving, their, giving all the options, there's one thing that stands head and shoulders above everything else. And if you read it, I mean, it's, it, it, it's startling simple. I mean, it's just in its simplicity, it's startling. Notice verse 9. Therefore, it's a, here's this response. Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. <laughs> 
that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And I love that because the phrase understanding heart can be translated a hearing heart. I like that. Give me a heart that hears you. Isn't that, wow. How many, how many know when you pray something like that, the ears of heaven peak up? You ever seen a dog, you kind of whistle and those ears just pop up? I think when somebody starts praying for wisdom, those ears of heaven just are at attention. They're listening. Solomon wanted a heart that hears so he could have the ability to see issues clearly distinguishing between right and wrong. That's powerful. He wanted wisdom. And he asked God. So, so God's response. Well, I mean, look at what he says. Verse number 10, he got two responses. Number one, God is pleased. God is pleased. I, I, the paraphrase of verse 10 says, God, the master, was delighted with his response. The Lord was pleased with it. And the second thing we see is that not only was God pleased, he, God provided. Look at verses 11 through 15. I'll just kind of give you some examples. Um, God tells Solomon that he will grant him a wise and understanding heart. If you go over to 1 Kings 4, 29, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largest of heart like the sand on the seashore. So God, dis, God was pleased and God granted. God gave him what he was looking for. And because, he, and because what he asked pleased God to such a degree, God, was, God gave him not just wisdom, but he gave him more than he could even imagine, riches and honor and the possibility of long life because he sought the Lord in wisdom. Oh, it's easy to say, okay, God, I just need $1,000. Okay, but when that $1,000 runs out, what are you going to do then? You see, the immediate moment is I need $1,000, but then what about the rest of your life? See, Solomon had the ability to see beyond, hey, it's, I don't just need the gold. I need God to give me some common sense, some wisdom, because this, this is a task. You know, young pastors coming up today need to understand, the Bible says those who seek the office of a bishop, they, they're, they're looking for a noble task. And, and oftentimes we want to focus on nobility because we see TV preachers and, you know, they write books and they have their own private planes and live in $40,000 or 40,000 square foot mansions and things like that. No, nah, that's, that's not ministry. It's not the nobility of it. It's the task. It's the task, and, and I think Solomon grasped that. It's not, it's not just being king. It's not all the, the, the perks that come with being king. It's I need wisdom because I don't want to make a fool of myself, and I want to do right by God. Solomon's reaction, again, so, so in verse 15, he wakes up from this divine dream that he's in, and a couple things stick out. The first thing he did was he gave to God. Okay, out of his dream, he, he comes, and the first thing he does, his first response is to give. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a big money guy. I don't preach a lot about money, never have, never will this late in my life anyway. But, there, but there's one thing I've always, um, always believed about finances from a biblical perspective is it works. And so every missions organization that I've ever been a part of, every missionary that I've ever worked with, every trip I've ever taken, you know, even, even in Cuba, when I was in Cuba a few years ago, um, we, you know, we teach uh, from, from our movement, we teach the concept of tithing, of giving to the Lord. Whether you make $50,000 a month or you make $50 a month, there's something spiritual about taking a portion and giving it to the Lord. There's something there. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. It is, a, it is something divine that takes place when you lay aside a portion of what we earn to give to the work of the kingdom. And it's taught in every place I've ever been, in, in Central America, South America, in Europe, in the, in the Far East, it's taught in those places. And many of those places barely have enough to survive on, but we teach them the concept because it's an important concept. One of the first things David, excuse me, Solomon did was he, he gave to God. 
Again, when he woke up, Solomon woke up, he determined this time to do things the right way. And, and so he journeyed to Jerusalem where he stood before the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says he offered up burnt offerings. He gave what he had uh, to the Lord because he knew that it, did, it wasn't his. It all came from God to begin with. And then the second thing that he did, his second response was he gathered with God's people. Again, there it is, the fellowship. He gathered with God's people. So at the conclusion of that time of worship, what did he do? You want to know why we can't get together as a church for a function without food? It's right here. You know what Solomon did after he worshiped and offered to the Lord? He served everybody prime rib. That's what he did. They ate. The Bible says they, then he made a feast for all his servants. So they ate. They worshiped. They had fun, food, and fellowship. Worship. And then, they, it was, again, they worshiped God in community, and then they broke bread together. Listen, it's not enough simply to be educated and have knowledge. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. We need the, and, and wisdom is the ability to use the knowledge we have. The, the Old Testament, the word, uh, the Hebrew word for wise is used to describe people who are competent at working with their hands. Uh, skill, have you ever seen a, a, a sculptor? Ever watched a sculptor? Uh, or you ever watched someone carve? You know, I, I've watched guys with chainsaws. Now, I've, I've done chainsaw work with our disaster relief ministry for 12, 12 years or so. And, and, and I, you get a chainsaw in my hand, you know what I can do with it? I can cut down a tree and cut up a tree really quick. But you give it to a skilled craftsman, and he can take that stump and he can take that chainsaw and just, and nothing more than a chainsaw. And he can cut this way and this way and slide out this way and make some of the most beautiful sculptures you have ever seen. That's what the word wise means in Hebrew. It's a, it's a person who, who, knows how to, who, how, who knows how to do it. There are a lot of people that pontificate, and then there's some that do. I think they call those consultants. But anyway, no, I'm just... <laughs> um, those who have wisdom have the ability to do it, to face life honestly and to live up to God's purpose uh, and that, that the purposes uh, uh, for their life that God has for their lives. Wisdom is, a, is not theoretical, it's practical. You know, there are a lot of people that want to go to this leadership conference and this conference and this conference and, and they're, they're gleaning, they're get, gaining knowledge, but when are you going to use it? It's not theory, it's practical. The wisdom of God is a practical wisdom. A wise person doesn't just say wise word words. He or she is skillful at the art of living life to the fullest. So for the next few minutes that I have, let's talk about how to, let me give you five steps to develop or seeking, five steps to seeking biblical wisdom, okay? And I'll give them to you real fast. So if I'm going to pursue biblical wisdom, again, the promise is there, by the way. The promise is there. We'll talk about it. Develop, first thing is develop the fear of the Lord. If I'm going to have wisdom, again, the practical wisdom of heaven, then I have to have the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 is probably the theme of Proverbs as well as the key that unlocks wisdom. Here's what he says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Did you get that? The beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the impetus of all wise living. Now, the main emphasis of the Bible, I think, would be the fear of the Lord. And again, it's not this spooky, you know, here we are in the Halloween season, you know, and you got ghosts and goblins and ghouls all over the place. That's not the fear we're talking about, you know, and people delight in scaring the dickens out of people. This is a, this is a holy reverence. This is a holy reverence. It's an, it's, it's, how many's ever been in awe of something? I mean, you just stood there and you're just like, whoa. That's the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. First time I ever stepped out on a collegiate when I was playing baseball in high school. First time I ever stepped out on a collegiate baseball field. Much, much bigger than my high school baseball field. I walk out there on that 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 arena, I mean, huge, and I'm standing there going, wow, 
Wow. It was overwhelming. I was in awe. First time I sat in the cockpit of a fighter jet, I was, oh, oh. Yeah, you ever been there? You ever been in a place where you just overwhelmed? Just all you could do is like, wow. You know, like, 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 the, like that great tasting ice cream. <laughs> so, so in 2019, I took my daughter. We did a daddy-daughter date. To, uh, date. We did a daddy-daughter trip to, to Germany where she was born. And I told her there was one treat that we always had. Sheila and I loved it. If I could fly over there just to get it, I would. It's called spaghetti ice. And I don't know what they, it, it, spaghetti ice. So, so basically ice is ice cream. So they take French, a, a French-style vanilla ice cream, put it in a press, and they squeeze it, and it comes out in strings like spaghetti. And then they put like a raspberry sauce on it, and, and, and it's just amazing. Oh, my goodness. And so I tell her about it. I've, I've been telling her all her life. And so the first, I kid you not, we get off the plane, so it's an overnight flight. We get off the plane. We drive by the hospital where she's born, which is now, it's not a hospital. It was the old Wiesbaden where the terrorists, uh, where the uh, hostages came back in the 80s. It's not a hospital anymore. It's a, it's a public building there for the city. But that's where she was born. So we drive by, show her where she's born. We get over to the town where Sheila and I lived. We park, and we go to the ice cream place. <laughs> and, I mean, we again, we're, we're tired from the trip, but we sit in this outside table, and, and I'm like, spaghetti ice, bitte schön. And they bring that out, and I'm like, oh, I was in awe. Okay, I'm not, I don't mean to reduce God to a bowl of ice cream, but I'm just saying that was, that's the same feeling. Again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, again, and, and when you talk about the beginning of something, it refers to the principle or the origin. So if I'm going to have wisdom, I can't have wisdom apart from the awe of God. He's got to be a factor in that. You know, if, uh, and so think about it, two types of people, the fool and the wise person. You know, and, and so a fool is not just someone who is a couple bricks short of a full load, okay? They're not one whose elevator doesn't go to the top floor, and they're not one who are a few fries short of a Happy Meal. That's not what the Bible means as a fool. What the Bible uses for the word fool is someone who... who does not do God's will. That's the fool in Scripture. He's the one who knows the right thing to do, but instead of doing the right thing, he does nothing. In fact, Proverbs one thirty two says that a fool, uh, well, here's what it says, complacency of fools will destroy them. Complacency, just the lack of the willingness to do it. Martin Luther's great cry was, let God be God. <laughs> let God be God i got to hurry up. Number two, not only do we, uh, again, if we're going to pursue wisdom, uh, not only do we begin at developing the fear of the Lord, we also need to devote ourselves to the Word of God. Again, if, I, if I'm going to have wisdom, then I need to partake of God's Word. I, it, it's not something I need to leave on a shelf for weeks on end. It's something I need to have. Uh, Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Psalm 119, 130 says, The unfolding of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to do what? Make you wise for salvation. There's no way to become wise apart from God's word. Again, we have to reframe how we view the Bible. It's not just my Sunday textbook. It's my everyday owner's manual. That's, see the difference there? I can have a Sunday textbook or I can have an owner's manual that I'll use every day. That's what the Bible is. Number three, determined to get wisdom. Again, if I'm going to pursue wisdom, I, I need to be determined to do that. Again, after developing the fear of the Lord and devoting ourselves to the Word of God, we need to determine to get wisdom. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. Here's the, way, here's the way Solomon wrote it. He said, my son, 
If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply to your heart, uh, apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The interesting thing about that passage there is three times Solomon writes, if you. Notice the responsibility. If you pursue, if you do this. See, these are, I know in our culture today, we have taught people that other people owe them. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches individual responsibility. If I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord, if I want to grow, then I have to do something. Big difference. Big difference. I sure wish they'd bring that back to modern society today. If you, and, and again, it, show, it shows us that if I want something, then I have to be determined to go get it. Wisdom doesn't come automatically because, how many know that? Just because you get older? Anybody notice that? Wisdom is not a biological process. I've met older people. I'm not even going to say that, but you, you know where I was going with that. <laughs> It's not, a, it's not a process of biology. Wisdom is something you have to pursue. When you, when, when we get it when we go after it. Um, what's that old saying? You can only be young once, but you can Im- be immature indefinitely. <laughs> a lot of truth there. So the question is, what price are we willing to pay for wisdom? What sacrifices are we willing to make to gain wisdom? Proverbs 8.11 says, for wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Talking about wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7. Again, lots of scripture. Kind of gives us a challenge to do whatever it takes for wisdom. Here's what it reads. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Listen to what he said. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. To a man who is known as the wisest man, thought so much about it, who had all the gold and all the silver and all the jewels that you could imagine, he said, you know what? Wisdom is more valuable than that. Whatever it costs you, gain wisdom. Number four, I got to hurry and close. You got to ask for it. I read this article, and, and I didn't have time to, to, to Google. You know, Google knows everything, right? But, but apparently, uh, there was a story carried in the news uh, a, a few years back, several years ago, about a restaurant in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And the, the, what, what was so interesting about this, uh, this new story is that there was a restaurant there uh, named Mary's Gourmet Diner who was offering customers 15% discount to, all, to anyone who prayed before their meal. That's why it made the news. <laughs> Was that she? This restaurant was offering a fifteen percent discount if you, before you ate your food, you bowed and you prayed over your meal. And here's what she said: she, the owner said, "It's a gift we give at random to customers who take a moment before their meal." She said, "I have lived in a third. I have lived in a third world country where there are people starving. We live in a country with an abundance of beautiful food. I never take that for granted. It warms my heart to see people with an attitude of gratitude." Oh, wow, that's pretty good. Well, here's the thing. We're not going to get a discount from God, but if we want wisdom more than anything else, we've got to ask God for it. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Daniel even admitted uh, that he did not have any wisdom of himself, and he gave God credit in Daniel chapter 2, verse 23. He said, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. When was the last time you asked God for wisdom? When was the last time you asked for guidance and direction? James 1, 5, he simply said this, if any of you lack wisdom, what do you say? Let him ask God. Let him ask God who does what? Who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. In other words, what he's saying is God's not going to berate you because you're, you're asking for wisdom. He's not going to say, well, you should have known better. You know, you ought to be farther along than what you are. He said, God gives abundantly to those who ask. That is a prayer that God will answer. God, give me wisdom. 
I don't know how to live in this crazy, mixed-up world that we're living in. Give me wisdom. Grant me wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 8.1, again, Solomon personifies wisdom. Here's what he says. Does not wisdom call out? <laughs> Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? And number five, and i got to close with this one. Dedicate yourself to Christ. Dedicate yourself to the Lord. Colossians, Paul writes, Colossians 2, verse 3, he's talking about Jesus said, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of, in him. To know and to love Jesus is to own the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Get wisdom. See, my prayer continues to be, after all these years, is God, give me an understanding heart in these perilous days. Listen, there are, things, there are challenges in ministry today that we've never encountered. There are situations that pop up that leave one scratching their, leave one scratching their head trying to, trying to figure out. And I'm, I'm telling you, human reasoning is not enough. So my daily prayer is, God, give me wisdom and an understanding heart in these perilous times so that I can discern your ways and your will. Let me hear. Give me a hearing heart. I pray daily for wisdom to guide my actions and guide my words as I, as I seek out to live out the destiny he's created for me. In fact, that's what I'd ask you to pray for me in your prayer time. Pray that God would grant me wisdom, that God would give me a, a listening heart so, so that I can hear. I want to move his direction. I don't want to fall in line with pop culture. I want to follow what he wants done. So as I close tonight, how about you? Has it been a while since you just ran, just stopped and said, God, I, I just need your wisdom? What about this? God wants to, God, there's no reason we should be grappling in the darkness about what to do. The Bible says, if I lack the wisdom, if I, if I lack the understanding, ask. Ask, and I keep on asking. And God gives me that. So tonight, what is it that you would ask God to do for you? Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer tonight? I want to challenge you to make that part of your daily prayer. You know, just God, I need a discerning heart. I need wisdom. Because I promise you, if, you're not, if you've not faced anything yet, which I know is probably a dub because most of us, <laughs> we, we face things all the time. But you know what? Here's, here's the thing. You're going to face some challenges from this day forward. And there are going to be some challenges that are going to test you to the core of who you are. And there are going to be things that will test you and you will, you will sit there and try to figure out the best route and, and it will confound you, confuse you, conflict you. Ask, God, give me wisdom. A 19-year-old boy, 20-year-old, 20-year-old young man, Fort Polk, Louisiana, with a, a desire to follow after God's will, totally clueless in what to do, just simply said, Lord, I want to follow you. I don't know what to do. Would you show me? Would you help me? And he did. And he did. And the rest is history. Oh, there are other times that I've had to call him up. <laughs> And he's always been there. How about it? There's no reason to wallow in the misery of indecisiveness when his wisdom is available for those who ask. Won't you bow with us as we close in prayer tonight? If you're online, if you'll comment, we'll pray with you. And just very simply tonight, if you're here and say, you know, Pastor, there's some things I'm facing, and I really do need the wisdom of God. I want to walk in that wisdom. And so I'm asking tonight, would you, would you just pray for me in closing tonight that God would, would give me wisdom so that I, I can discern between right and wrong and what his will is versus what my will is? If that's you tonight, would you just slip your hand right, right back down? I'm just going to pray for you in closing. If you're online, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Father, tonight I love you so much and I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you are a gracious, kind, loving God. Lord, you're one who delights in doing wonderful things for your children. And one of those wonderful things is to 
grant wisdom to those who seek it to ask. Tonight, many hands went up in the building. I'm sure online tonight there are those that are acknowledging that they're that we, we have a deficit of wisdom. That there are places and things that are happening in our lives that we truly, truly do not know what to do. But Lord, we're never left without hope. We're never left without a resource. Lord, you said, call out to me and I'll answer you. You said, if we lack wisdom to ask and you will give to us liberally, without reproach. So Father, grant that tonight. Grant that you give us a discerning, listening heart, Lord, that we might live in this crazy, mixed-up world that we live in. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, as, as, as I continue to pastor here at this church, Lord, grant me wisdom, Lord, that I might discern your will and your ways in this perilous day in which we live. Lord, I want to follow hard after you and do as you have created and called me to do. Father, I pray, you, again, you will help that to be a... Help us to make that a daily portion of our prayer, that we seek out your wisdom and that we would avail ourselves to the promises that you have in your word and the wisdom that's contained in the scriptures that you've already given to us. Father, I pray you'll go with us tonight. Give us a great night, a restful night. May we sleep soundly and strongly in you. May we wake up uh, in the morning with a spring in our step and a song in our heart. Lord, make us uh, light that shines wherever we may go tomorrow. And then, Lord, should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday. I pray now ordain what you're going to do on Sunday. Bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. I love and I bless each one now in Jesus' mighty name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. Everything I have is yours. I won't bow.